Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling. Well, today on the podcast, we are talking about kids and technology. Uh, As a parent of four, I'm increasingly thinking through, how do I introduce my kids to technology, but also be a wise parent in monitoring the screen time, monitoring the content they have access to? This is a tension that most parents are facing. And so to help me with this today, I've asked my friend, Dr. Kathy Cook, who's a recognized expert on this subject. Uh, She has a PhD in reading and educational psychology from Purdue University. She was a tenured associate professor of education at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. She was a teacher of second graders, a middle school coach, a school board member, and now she is a uh, recognized and very popular speaker and author. Uh, Her new book, Teens and Screens, is a helpful new resource. Before we begin our conversation, though, I'd like to tell you about a really helpful new resource from the ERLC we're calling The Weekly. This is a free email newsletter written by our staff uh, that curates some of the most important news stories and offers some brief explanation from a distinctly Christian uh, perspective. Most of us are very busy. We've got our jobs, we've got our families, we've got so many things going on, and it's hard to digest all the news coming from a variety of different sources, uh, social media and TV and radio. And so uh, our desire is to help you think through some of these things. Uh, It's a quick 15-minute read that I think will get you up to speed on the most important news stories. To sign up for this, go to my website, danieldarling.com, click on the podcast page, and we'll have a link there for you to sign up for the weekly newsletter. But for now, let's join our conversation with Dr. Kathy Cook. Dr. Kathy Cook, thanks for joining me today on the Way Home Podcast. I am happy to be here. Thank you. So I want to get right into our conversation. You have a new book called Screens and Teens, and uh, a very, very helpful book helping parents kind of navigate their way through uh, this sort of new digital world. My first question is, um, is this something that you've been thinking about and writing about uh, for a long time? How did you come to really become, I guess, interested in this subject yeah, that's good. It's a good place to start, and I appreciate you saying it's a good book. That means a lot. Uh, I began talking about this with a bunch of people probably 10 years ago, and maybe five, six years ago, got a little bit more serious about it, as um, colleagues and I began to see behaviors in our young people that were concerning to us, an increased selfishness, increased entitlement, increased impatience, even for those who claim to be Christ followers, and became very concerned, began to observe, do the research, read a lot of research, and lo and behold, the use of technology was definitely a factor in the beliefs and behaviors of our young people changing. And that's where, um, that's why I chose to get invested in the topic. You know, my book is not about technology, and I don't slam technology. It's here, we're using it today, it's essential. And yet, if we're not careful, and we let our kids use a lot of it when they're young, and we maybe don't balance it out with other kinds of things, then their brain is changed and their behaviors change, and it's not good. You know, selfishness, for instance, is not good. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that you're not against technology because I think, you know, things have moved so quickly uh, in the last, say, 10 years, 15 years, that I think there's two reactions, equally bad reactions, by parents or maybe people of an older generation, one might be just kind of passivity, you know, Mm -hmm. and just uh, they don't really know what their 
kids are doing and the, the things they have access to and what it's doing to them. On the other side, there's a, there's a kind of like withdrawal and fear and 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 just sort of being against all technology and all new things. And so, can you talk about maybe a third way to navigate this new reality? Mm. You know, we need to pay attention to what our kids are doing. We need to connect with them in conversation like we always did in the old days, quote-unquote. And we also need to connect with them through technology and sit with them while they're gaming and find out why that game is attracted to them. Watch movies that they want to watch so that we can talk about the plot and the subplot and whether or not we thought it was a good movie and why did they think it was a good movie. You know, listen to music that they find engaging um, and then ask them if they would listen to something that you thought was really great. So um, connecting with them through the technology is not a bad thing. And then turning it off sometimes and recognizing that we are created for this real relationship that does require um, being fully present. And that's one of the things that I wish more kids were willing to do but they are when the parents ask for it in the right way. Um, there's probably also a word to be said, not simply for parents to, to watch what they're doing, what their teens are doing. And I, I want to really talk about that in a second. But I know as a parent myself, we can be captive to the screen. Oh, yes. Um, I know one thing I struggle with is just coming home and putting my phone down and being present. Mm. And so... It's hard, isn't it, for parents to kind of, on the one hand, tell their kids you, you're on the screen too much when we're on our screens too much, right? Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that, and I really could have mentioned that definitely in my answer to the other question. It is challenging for us, and especially if you have a, a career, a job, a volunteer position where you are required to you know, be available to a quick text or a quick you know, request from someone. So that's where we teach our kids the difference between a need and a want. You know, mm-hmm. Dad needs to keep his phone on during dinner because there's a possibility he's going to have to have a business meeting at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning that he's not sure about yet. Just like we let you keep your phone on when your volleyball coach is maybe going to be texting you Mm -hmm. about a change in the time of the practice versus the want where, you know, you don't really need it right now, so we're going to take it to the other room so you can't even hear it vibrate, you know, and we're going to be fully engaged. I try to talk with parents about investigating um, their websites they want to go to after their kids are in bed. You know, I totally get that a lot of men and women come home from work and want to check maybe their bank account and, and, a, and a website for a sports score. But a lot of that we can do when our kids are engaged um, in other things that they're doing or they're in bed and we're not missing out on those chances to play games with them and read with them and play catch outside and have meaningful conversations as we help you know, in the kitchen preparing dinner. That's a real struggle for parents, I would imagine. And I like your approach where you're not saying never look at your phone but or never check things online, but uh, find good targeted times to, to accomplish that. And it really is amazing that, you know, if I look back at my activity, most of the time I'm checking my phone it's really not necessary right now. It's just kind of that <laughs> that sort of incessant need to see what's new. Mm. Um, and that's sort of um, a, a bad habit, isn't it? Well, I, I totally get it. Um, yes, <laughs> it's, um, it becomes a habit. It's almost an addiction. We mm-hmm. are so, I know many people, for instance, at a red light, they can't not check their phone. It's become such a habit. And I love to say to them, how much has happened in the last five minutes that you think you've missed? (laughs) You know, how important do you think you are that there's something on Facebook you have to comment on or you have to like or you have to see how many people have liked your past post? That's where we are not... It's not healthy for us um, because we become self-centered and we become 
um, believing the lie that the world revolves around us and we can't miss out on anything. And then absolutely, we're going to pass that belief system on to our kids, mm-hmm. and they're going to feel cheated. And in fact, they are going to be cheated by the possibility of us not being fully present. Wow. Guilty as charged. Thank mm-hmm. you for that good word. I want to <laughs> talk some about parents being proactive to guard the kind of content their their kids might receive. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, for a while there was a good paradigm where, um, and I still think this is important, and I, I presume that you do too, where uh, if you have computers, it's good to have filters, you know, services like Covenant Eyes and other other services that can really monitor and and keep out stuff. Now it's a little bit more difficult, right? Because there's um, there's iPads, there's iPhones, um, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kids can have access to pretty much anything on the internet. And so, what advice are you giving parents uh, in that respect? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Daniel. You know, there are certain um, opportunities with different providers, for instance, to have a record of texting and and all kinds of things like that. And I would certainly support that. However, the reality is that when your kids are out from your home, you don't know what they're doing for sure. You know, what are they watching at a friend's house and what are they doing with their phone on the bus? You know, because there's all kinds of possibilities for them to get engaged with other kids' um, digital devices that don't have the same kind of filters and all that. So we must teach discernment and we must teach our children why we don't want them watching certain kinds of things that are... um, you know, inappropriate for their age, whether it be, you know, violence or something else that's even more damaging. If we don't explain that, then when they're not under our roof, they're not going to know what was good for them and not not good for them and what was age-appropriate and what wasn't. Um, I really appreciate parents, Christian parents, who are raising their children well in in youth groups and, and maybe even Christian schools and homeschooling opportunities or public schools where they're very alert to what the kids are being taught and so we become the discerners for them, and we decide what's safe in the house and what friends they can play with. We must pass that ability on to our kids so that they can begin to discern, so that they, you know, they might be on YouTube, for instance, the YouTube channel or the YouTube website looking for a legitimate video related to a school assignment. But what we don't know is what pops up in those ads. And we need to make sure that they know to, you know, move their eyes and click that off instantly. And that's what we need to teach, which is another reason why I'm a big fan of having the kids do a lot of their homework in the presence of the parents at the kitchen table, Mm. in the den, the same room dad is in, where occasionally you're walking by and making sure that they are doing their homework and that they're not surfing the net or gaming or, or watching a video on a split screen while they say they're doing their biology homework. I want to ask your advice about, I guess every family has to deal with this in a little bit different way and has their own sort of guidelines but in your view what is a good what is an appropriate age for a for a child to have a cell phone uh to have a smartphone um i know i have a i'll just confess i have a 10 year old daughter grace and she has friends that have smartphones and she wants one and i say no grace you're not ready for one uh you don't need one um she'll say daddy why don't you let me have one and i said it's because I love you, but you'll understand later. Oh, but, that's good. But but I mean, the, you know, what in your in your view is an appropriate age for for kids to start being able to handle that responsibility? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, let me affirm you because you're parenting your daughter, and you're not responsible for the other parents and their kids. Mm-hmm. And when a child says to a parent, "Everybody else has one," you need to look at those kids and go, "Well, that's a lie." 
you know, not everybody has one. And we need right. to make sure that we're not being manipulated by our 10-year-old kids or our 14-year-old kids. So let me first affirm you. And then let me say that, again, this is where we talk about a need and a want. A child who's learning to drive, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They, they may need a cell phone, not an not a smartphone that has internet capabilities. They need a phone with 911, dad's work number, and mom's cell number. I like that. You know, and, and maybe a neighbor's number, um, maybe a grandmother's number. Um, they, they don't need a smartphone. And if kids have a smartphone, they, they certainly don't need um, Facebook on there, and they don't need certain apps on there either. Mm. And that's where we still parent. I say in my book, be the parent. Just like you were a parent when they were four, and you didn't allow them to do certain things like run out into the road just because they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness, we still must be the parents who place those boundaries because we love them. And I love that you say that to your daughter. I love you too much to give you this now. Because mm-hmm. your mind doesn't need it. Your heart doesn't need it. Um, and and that's, that's the absolute truth. It, it's, a, it's a lot of, res- you know, when I, when I see kids at younger and younger ages having smartphones, I'm just thinking to myself, there's so much potential and responsibility wrapped up in that device that I just wonder if kids can handle, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even, even something like texting and, I mean, there's so many things. I just, can they handle that responsibility, right? And in and, and your research, I mean, I'm curious what, what you found. Absolutely. It is a maturity issue. It has to do, again, with their beliefs and behaviors. They don't necessarily have the character yet, um, the self-control, self-respect, respect for others. And then let's say, let's look at it this way. What are they missing out on because we've given them that? They're missing out on playing outside and vitamin D and, you know, um, eye contact and, and playing tag, good old-fashioned games of tag, if you will, and, and checkers with a checkerboard and not an app on a phone that you play with somebody across the country, but something that you're doing at the kitchen table with your mom and mm-hmm. your cousin and your dad and your grandfather who's come over to visit. It is a concern about brain development because under the age of 25, the things that we do often wire the brain to expect those connections. Mm. So children at a young age who are um, on devices and playing games are going to be used to fast, instant, I can win anything I play, it's all about me, I am my own authority, I feel very powerful when I'm on this game. Their brains are wired now to expect that. And now, guess what? That spelling lesson was boring. Well, do it anyway, but it was boring. Well, welcome to the world. You mm. know, and... So when we keep our 10-year-olds and our 15-year-olds off of it as much as we can, we're going to have kids who are more eclectic and receive the variety that life has for them. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say that they will connect better to people from other generations. You know, we've adapted to technology because we've had to. It's it's a great thing. Um, But it hasn't changed our brain development because we were older when we began to use it. If kids use only technology in their spare time, it's always the go-to place. It's always where they go to for their answers. It's always what they do for fun. Their brains are going to be so different from ours that it will be a challenge to connect with them for a lifetime. Mm, That's a really good word. What are some practical guidelines that you give parents uh, for, for regulating screen time? I'm a big believer in um, maybe one or two digital-free days mm. where we only turn things on to cook with and read by, like a light and a stove. Mm. And we, we keep everything else off. Maybe one cell phone, you know, for emergency. But um, we don't have TVs on. We don't have um, iPods and pods in our ears um, because we'll talk. The silence will be filled with conversation. 
Um, silence is very important for the brain. It's when ideas sift mm. and sort, and that quiet is is restoring. Um, we live mm. in a very quick pace. It's very loud, and all of us benefit from quiet. Mm. I believe the car can be a what I call a screen-free, digital-free zone, a connecting zone, where, believe it or not, we turn everything off. No pods in the back seat, mm. no handheld devices, no radio on. Look out the window. It won't kill you. <laughs> and have a conversation. Mm. Um, and a lot of kids tell me that they like talking to parents in the car because you can't make eye contact with them because you're driving. And they don't always want to make eye contact with you when they have to talk about tough stuff. Mm because they don't want to look in your eyes when they know that they're going to be concerning you. Mm. And they also tell me that you're captured. They know you can't leave if the conversation gets difficult. That's a good word. And it's also to your advantage to talk with them at times like that, because they can't leave. If you want to bring up something about their character, their belief system, choices that they made yesterday, um, whereas if you're talking in the kitchen, they can stop out, go to the room, slam the door. Mm. Now you have a whole other d- dimension yeah. to worry about. We've talked about some of the negative things with technology, and and obviously th- there are many. Um, we could get into things like cyberbullying and all that stuff, which is a real concern. But that might be a topic for another day. But I, I guess maybe if we could spend the, the last few minutes with you talking about some of the ways that technology might help parents and teens connect if used in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question would be, how can parents um, leverage um, new communication avenues to connect, especially with their teens. Mm-hmm. Here's how I'd answer that, Daniel. Um, one of the best things technology has done for a younger generation is expose them to the brokenness of the world. Mm-hmm. When something devastating happens, an earthquake in Nepal, a bomb going off in Iraq, um, a, a suicide bomber uh, shooting at a school, uh, um, a derailment of a, of a railroad... We see it in real time. We see it instantly as it's happening with raw, unedited, real-time footage. When I was a child, I heard about children starving in Africa and eventually saw illustrations and then actual photos and then actual video. Our children are growing up with real video of children starving in Africa. Hmm. And if they're raised with hopelessness, where parents are overwhelmed, the kids will become overwhelmed and they'll sit on the couch and and they won't know what to do. When they're raised with hope, when they're raised to understand that God creates us to be difference makers, and God creates us to speak into the brokenness and to, to heal the hurting um, through a relationship with Christ and through our own ability to love well, that's empowering. So watching certain videos with your kids, watching certain news clips with your kids, going to um, YouTube videos and looking at, or other videos, and looking at um, in, uh, inventions that are helping the sick, or how are they building new homes to um, withstand uh, earthquakes now in different parts of the world? Haiti, amazing research has been done down there. Um, And I think that can be a conversation. And then that leads to career and after high school experiences that we want to have. It can lead to service projects where we want to investigate that. I know of a young person who discovered how many hungry people there were in Africa and who said to his dad, I want to invent a seed that can grow twice as fast so that in the rainy season we can double the crop and feed twice as many people. Wow. Isn't that fabulous? That's pretty cool. And that was through technology that he discovered that. And in that conversation, you now talk about, well, maybe you should take advanced biology next year in school. What about that guy at church who's a nutritionist? Maybe we should have him over for dinner. Mm. You know, and that that conversation. So let me answer it that way. I think 
talking with our young people about what's wrong in the world that we can help is one of the best connections through technology that we we can offer our kids. Yeah, and I would offer another one too. I mean, used to be, I, I remember when I was a kid, I was always very curious when I had to do reports and, and things. My, my parents would take me to the library. I'd look at some of the magazines and periodicals and newspapers, and I'd put things together, uh, which was still fun, and I'm glad I did that. But now I look at, you know, my wife homeschools my kids, mm-hmm. and, you know, they have a curriculum that they use. But there's times where there's just kind of a concept that they're interested in. And quickly, you can go online, you can Google something, and you can find out information. I know like on certain holidays, like Martin Luther King Day or others, it's like, you know, we can easily have a nice conversation by looking things up. Who was he? Um, mm-hmm. You can find videos on YouTube about certain uh, things in science or, or animals and things. So there, there is some great positive benefits to this technological age we live in. Uh, just a matter of kind of harnessing it for good, right? Absolutely. And let me use your example to say that one of the best things we can also do is help our kids move from that information stage, like watching a video of a Martin Luther King speech or watching mm-hmm. a video about the birth of a giraffe, and then moving into knowledge and wisdom. Because mm-hmm. one of the detriments of the ease of information on, on our phone, we can ask the person on our phone questions and she has the answer. <laughs> you know, and I like that. I mean, it's an amazing convenience. And yet, It is teaching that in places like Google.com are potentially teaching our young people that all they need is information. Mm. And that's not true. We were created to desire wisdom, which is the application of knowledge. And we need to make sure as parents that we're modeling that and that we're not satisfied with just a quick answer to, you know, tickle our ears, but that we do, in fact, want to go beyond that. Yeah. And one more benefit I would add, Skype is really cool for Skyping grandparents. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, no, I use it all the time. I think Skype is um, yeah. absolutely pretty remarkable. Yeah. But anyways, really good stuff. Dr. Kathy Cook, an expert on uh, child development, child psychology, and particularly uh, with her new book, Screens and Teens. I encourage all of you uh, listeners to go get this, especially parents that are wrestling with these issues. I really appreciate your good insights here. This was a great conversation, and uh, we'll try to have you back again. Thanks for joining our podcast. Absolutely, Daniel. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Dr. Kathy Cook for that really helpful conversation. I know this is a subject, teens and screens, kids and technology, that's really close to the heart of a lot of us. I know as a parent of four, this is something uh, we're talking about in our house uh, quite a bit. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast player? And if you're interested in other conversations we've had with other Christian leaders like Bob Lapine, uh, David Platt, Johnny Moore, others, you can catch all those podcasts on the podcast page at danieldarling.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast player. Also, don't forget to sign up for our new weekly newsletter called The Weekly, where we basically curate some of the top news stories and explain them from a Christian worldview. If you want to sign up for that, go to our website, my website, danieldarling.com. Click on the link there to sign up. But for now, thank you for joining the Way Home Podcast. Mm-hmm.